0: Hey, hey, what's up? What's up? Uh, Good morning and good afternoon or good evening, wherever you are and wherever you're listening uh, to this uh, new podcast called The Unworthy Servant Podcast. I mean, I don't know how new you could call it. I guess I mean, I guess it's still is new. We're in our third episode uh, of the show. Um, and I'm excited about this one. This is a heavyweight one for sure. Um, my name is Michael Board, and I'm the host. And I'm also one of many unworthy servants that Jesus refers to in uh, Luke 17, uh, and I'd just like to say grace and peace to you all, and uh, I just want to give a special shout out to my brother, Jared Williams. This past Sunday, he was ordained. Uh, he is a brother who I've known since I was a teenager. Uh, we used to be in a youth group together, and I just want to say that the Lord used him and another brother, John Mosley, as examples of what a godly teenager looked like. So uh, I love you, man, and I love you, brother, and I love you with the love of, uh, of, of our Lord uh, Jesus, brother. Uh, and so I hope that this past Lord's Day was one that was filled with ways to help you uh, to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and I hope that you were able to encourage a brother or sister and that you were able to be encouraged by them as well, too, to continue to grow in, in the faith and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, growing the good deeds and bear fruit and becoming more and more like our elder brother. I also hope that you were encouraged to walk in a manner worthy, uh, of the Lord and encouraged to find ways to be fully pleasing to him and that you were encouraged to bear fruit in every good work so that you may be, be able to increase in the knowledge of God. As Paul says in Colossians one ten. I hope that you were able to stir one another up in genuine love and affection for one another. Um so today we're going to uh continue in the attributes of God. We will be touching on the sovereignty of God. And in the next episode, episode 4, we will be on the providence of God. So, originally I did these uh two ep- uh these two attributes together and I called them the twin attributes. But I feel that uh it's best to break the- these twin attributes up. So what I'm going to do is this that's why I'm doing this episode as the sovereignty of God and the next episode as the providence of God. Again, this is a compilation of studies that I have gathered from others, along with my personal notes. And I'm going to always give credit to whom it's due. Uh, and if I don't remember uh, who, who it is, I, I will definitely make sure to put it somewhere uh, there. Um, and my notes are built on the shoulders of of other godly men, as I stated before, and I will always state that again. Uh, I'm not uh, one person just out here trying, and one one person pretending like I know it all as well. So this, so I just want to start this off with another quote from Paul Washer. All right, just to start this off, he said, "One of the greatest things that is needed today, when uh, would seem to be one of the simplest things, and yet it is desperately needed." So he goes on to say, "One of the reasons why the people of God suffer weak." And language without nourishment is for two reasons. First, they don't know who God is. And second, they don't know the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, uh, he says in another sermon that the first step in the gospel, uh, into the gospel is not, uh, the sin of men, but the knowledge of God that is knowing God. The task of the preacher is to study the attributes of God until you burn with them. I love that. He said that, uh, until you burn with the attributes of God, he says further uh, that the preacher is to reveal to to, uh, to the people through the proclamation of the word and they will see their sin. When we preach in the streets, in the pulpit, wherever we preach, we are to preach the attributes of God. And in light of that, uh, every dark spot will be clearly seen. That's a really dope quote. I I, I like that. So if you can't tell, uh, uh, I listen to Paul Washer a lot, you know, uh, and if the Lord wills, I love to have him on uh, the show one day and just really talk with him and pick his brain. But like I said, I listen to him a lot. And if you listen to Washer enough, he says that the gospel cannot be rightly understood apart from knowing the attributes of God. So this should not just be a strong conviction of one man. Right. This just shouldn't be the strong conviction of Paul Washer. But brothers and sisters, yo, that should be the conviction of the church globally and especially the conviction of the local church, period, knowing the attributes of God. So uh, he goes on to say, because of these uh, those two uh, things that is that is not knowing God rightly, nor knowing the gospel of Jesus, he says, and I quote, people have no power to love God and no power to serve him. Uh, that that that's that's very interesting that he says that and 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 I totally agree, that like people don't have a power to love God and the power to serve Him because they don't know who Him rightly and they don't know the gospel. So Paul Washer goes on to say further, uh, if I were to hand out a sheet of paper to each one of you and say I would I want you to write on the front and the back and explain to me using scriptures of all the major attributes of God. Define them for me and tell me who God is in the scriptures. Most couldn't do it. That's what he says, end quote. And if that was not convicting, if that quote is not convicting for you, then maybe this one will be. He goes on further to say, and I quote, the Bible tells us that wise men shouldn't boast in their wisdom and strong men in their strength. But he who boasts should boast in this, that they know the Lord, that they know me. That's what the Lord says. So. The greatest hour of idolatry, Washer goes on to say, is on Sunday morning in churches every week uh, than anywhere else in the world. So why is this the case? Washer answers because people are worshiping a God who is not the true God. Since they don't know uh, what the Bible really teaches about God, the God they worship is a God they made with their own mind and a God who looks a lot like them. We make a God in our own image and then worship the God uh, who he made, like uh, Psalm, 15, Psalm 115 says, and like Isaiah says as well, too. See, I share this same burden with Paul Washer, y'all. This is the reason why on this particular episode, along with other episodes on this podcast, my burden and my goal uh, for men and women, for boys and girls, is to understand and know God. I want for this episode and many others to be an encouragement for the church to know God properly. But what's sad is this, and Washer said this, uh, is that when we preach on the attributes of God, and yo, like I've seen this with my own eyes and heard this with my own ears. When we preach on the attributes of God, so many get angry or confused. And hear what Washer says. Uh, He says, when I begin to talk about the sovereignty of God, the justice of God, the wrath of God, the holiness of God, even the hatred of God, all things the Bible speaks about. A lot of people in the church today jump up and say, that's not my God. I could never love a God like that, or I could never serve or follow a God like that. The reason is because the God they love, Washer adds, is a God they made up in their own mind. End quote. Therefore, people have itching ears and want teachers that will only soothe and give them what they want to hear. That's what's going on here, man. So with that as an introduction to today's episode, I hope you heard those wor- warnings by the brother. And I hope that if you want to hear those quotes again from him, I encourage you to play the early parts of this episode again, you know. Uh, so as we move on, I just want to say that there are so many people who think that just just because they think that they think just they think that that we would just come up with definitions and slap them on to any given attribute. So before we define the sovereignty and providence of God in the next episode, I'd like to draw your attention to two texts from the scriptures that speak on on, on both of these twin attributes. So Psalm uh, 33 verse 10 says this, The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people's. Again, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. Moving on to Isaiah 46 verses 9 to 11. This hear the word of the Lord. This is the Lord saying this. He says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from east, from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. And that's again, Isaiah 46 verses 9 to 11. So here again are these twin doctrines, the attributes of God, the sovereignty of God and the, uh, the providence of God. See, these passages and others like it function in a way that lets us know where these doctrines come from. All doctrine comes from the Bible. All biblical doctrine stems from the word of God. Many call this attribute, the sovereignty of God, the bedrock doctrine of the Christian faith. And I would even like to add the providence of God uh, to this. And that should be one of these bedrocks as well, too. So both of these, in my opinion, are bedrock doctrines of the faith. So my goal will be for us to understand what it means for us to say that God is sovereign. And in the next episode, we will see how providence relates to his sovereignty. All right. So first, uh, I will define the term sovereignty and look at what the scriptures say about the Lord and him as a sovereign one. And second, uh, we will seek to understand some of the implications and applications uh, for our, our lives from this text and from this doctrine for sure. Before we move on, though, uh, I have another preliminary thing that I want to say. As I was studying these twin doctrines, I find myself feeling much like the late Martin Lloyd Jones. Um, In a sermon that he preached in the early parts of the 20th century, he said this, and I quote, he said, there can be no doubt at all, but that this doctrine uh, is at the present time is a very important one for us to consider. So listen up, because Lloyd-Jones, Lloyd-Jones continues to say every biblical doctrine, of course, is important and we must not take any single one for, for granted. But if you look at the long history of the church, you will find that in different times and in different centuries, some doctrines assume a particular importance. That's dope, y'all. So considering what the doctor said, right, <laughs> uh, my question is this why are these twin doctrines of, of particular importance in this hour of the church and this hour of church history? Why are these two twin doctrines important for us? So Lloyd-Jones gives some reasons why, and he gives three reasons why uh, they're still relevant. And really they're relevant for us today. These three really, these three reasons are relevant for us today. The first is that out of the current state of the world, that's the first one because of the current state of the world. That's why these doctrines are important. Secondly, we have heard and read about divine and special providential interventions of God, both uh, corporately and individually. So that's the second reason why Lloyd Jones says. But the third one, I think, is, is a very important one. The third reason to why these twin doctrines are particular particularly important, and have particular importance in the nineteenth in the nineteen hundreds, as well as in the 20, 21st century, twenty twenty one, going into twenty twenty two, Lord willing is that so many people use science or scientism to try and explain away certain phenomenons apart from the hand of God. Now, yo, that is, that's the real reason why this is important for us. Therefore, these twin doctrines are very important because they can speak to all three of these concerns, both in the 20th and 21st century. So along with the doctor, what he said, I like to add my two cents to what the doctor said, uh, which uh, can help us understand why these twin doctrines of are of they are of particular importance for us today. We live in a day and age where so much of what we see in the church and out of the church is focused on the religion of meism, where me-centric thinking tries to eclipse a Christ-centered, Christocentric way of life. Now I want to say that again. Uh, we live in a day and age where so many uh, people and so much of the teaching in the church and outside of the church definitely is focused on the religion of meism, where me-centric thinking tries to eclipse a Christ-centered, Christocentric way of life. Now that meism and me-centric thinking, I'm borrowing that from uh, um, J.I. Packer. This is the way to say that much of the focus in Christian worship. From the songs to the preaching, even to the coffee, I mean, I like coffee, but even to the coffee is centered on what we want and not what God wants. Behind my concern here is the proper worship of God and the fact that scripture is the only place to know how he wants us to worship him and how he wants to be worshiped. So a Christ's uh, Christocentric, God-centered way of life, rightly understood, is found in these twin doctrines of sovereignty and providence. What we get from the Bible as well. When speaking of sovereignty, A.W. Pink says in his book um, that it is the foundation of all Christian theology and is the center of gravity in the system of Christian truth. He goes on to say, it is the sun around uh, which all of the other planets circle. Again, Pink was speaking about the sovereignty. However, we can use uh, this for the providence of God as well. So these twin doctrines, are what John Piper says, the continental divide of theology, which separates the men from the boys. All right. And following this same idea, Dr. Stephen Lawson adds that one drop of water on one side of this mountain ridge uh, and continental divide flows into an ocean of man-centered religion, man-centered ministry, man-centered worship and man-centered evangelism. But one drop of truth on this side of the, the continental divide flows into an ocean of God-centered living, God-centered worship, God-centered evangelism, and God-centered missions. Lawson's killing it right there when he says that too. And Lawson really goes on uh, to say that the that this continental divide is this, truth, that God is absolutely sovereign. Again, the continental divide uh, of this uh, uh, that, that, that both of these men are talking about is this, truth that God is absolutely sovereign. And I would like to add that God demonstrates his sovereignty in providence, which we will look at again next week. But we're really looking at sovereignty here. So with that said, I'd like uh, like for us to understand the first of these twin doctrines uh, with humility, with awe, and with reverence for the God who is above us all and who saved us and called us to himself. We will only go as far as scripture takes us. And so I'm not going to be going beyond that. And my prayer uh for us uh for myself for you all who are listening is that we may be able to know our great god deeply and more uh, uh deeper than we have known him and that uh we will tell others about him so now looking at this the sovereignty of God I like for us to look at psalm uh one o three verse uh psalm one o three verse nineteen all right psalm one o three verse nineteen okay And David says this in Psalm 103, verse 19. Uh, He says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. This Psalm is an amazing one because David says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. We've heard songs like that. Verse two says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. Right, So Psalm 103 ends with a fourfold bless the Lord, ending in verse 22 with bless the Lord, O my soul. This psalm is amazing because David begins with bless the Lord, O my soul, followed by a threefold blessing and ends with bless the Lord, O my soul. So there are three major reasons why uh, that that three major observations that I see why the Holy Spirit through David is calling his first readers and us to bless the Lord. Okay, so the first one, the beginning blessing and the ending blessing function as an inclusio or a book ending, which brackets this Psalm, okay? And so everything from verses three to 18 builds up to verse 19, which says the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. So verses uh, three to 18 emphasizes the, the benefits right this emphasizes the benefits the righteous deeds and the righteous works of the lord especially in salvation and in forgiveness and we see that in verses 3 to 13 all right again looking at verses uh 3 to 18 in a sense uh gives us reasons for why we are to bless the lord right and so uh i'm borrowing this from lawson dr steve lawson he says that everything in between verses 3 to 19 Uh, are the reason for which we are to raise up and bless the Lord. In other words, our doxology, that is our praise to God, must be built on a firm theology. I love that, yo. Uh, uh, Which is to say that the firm theology uh, in this psalm is found in verses uh, 3 to 18. All right, so the reason why we're to praise the Lord, we can find those reasons in verses 3 to 18, and they build up to verse 19. So this is the second reason why. These also emphasizes the finite frailty of man and the infinite, eternal, everlastingness of the Lord who keeps covenant. And we see that in verses uh, 14 to 18. You may be thinking, okay, but what does that what does that have to do with the sovereignty of God? Well, the third major reason to bless the Lord is this, because the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Right. In verse 19 that's banging so the word uh in hebrew for kingdom is malkut uh and it means royal power dominion or reign this announces that god is above or superior to all others um and i'm borrowing this again from uh, steve lawson and he is chief he is greatest he is highest he is supreme in power and rank and authority so that's what this means for him to be uh, have the kingdom and have uh sovereignty. So even though, check this out, y'all, because even though in the ESV, that's the v- version I use, in the ESV it says kingdom, uh, the word Malkuth can also be translated as sovereignty. Therefore, the reason we are called to bless the Lord is because David wants for the people of God uh, to ascribe glory and give to God the honor that he uh, is due to him, due his name. Why? So this is this is a real question. So Why? Why does David want us to bless the Lord and ascribe glory to God? Because the Lord's throne is in the heavens, right? The Lord's throne is in the heavens. His throne is above all thrones and rule and powers in the world. And as Psalm uh 115 says, Psalm 115, 115 clearly says, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to you give uh the glory. Uh and then verse 2 says we should Uh, Why should uh, the nation say, where is your God? Our God is in the heavens and he does as he pleases. All right. So again, like he's sovereign, he does as he pleases. So there's no king. There's no queen. There's no prime minister. There's no senator. There's no president, a a good dictator, an evil dictator who is above God. There is none. There's no city, no state, no country or nation above God. We are to bless him because he is sovereign and his sovereignty rules everywhere and everywhere he is. Matter of fact, you know, so it rules everywhere and everywhere he is. So, see, I just want to say this real quick as a sidebar. All of his attributes are connected to his being and he has each one fully. So, that's really connected to the simplicity of God. He doesn't have his attributes in part. So we see his sovereignty in what it means for him to be omnipresent, all right? So this, and that's what I'm saying, wherever he is, that's where his sovereignty is. This is all because his sovereignty is connected to his omnipresence because his comprehensive rule is everywhere and everywhere present in the universe. The sovereignty of God relates to to him being transcendent because he is high and lifted up. You know, as a bunch of the Psalms and Isaiah speaks of. So now I want you all to listen to what Dr. Steve Lawson says here again about sovereignty. He says divine sovereignty means that God holds the position of the highest ruler reigning over all angelic and earthly powers. All right. So that that, that that's banging right there. So I just want to uh, take you uh, take a step back and look at what the scriptures say about this, too. Now, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, Paul reminds Timothy uh, to fight the good fight of faith, right? By keeping the good confession in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6, verse 15, right? So the natural question uh, would be this. What is part of that good confession, right? <laughs> so Paul uh, says that in the good confession about Jesus, Jesus is the blessed, uh, the blessed and only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. So sovereignty is also related to omnipotence. So again, Psalm 103 verse 19 says that his kingdom and sovereignty rules over all. So the word for sovereignty uh, in Greek is dunastes. Um And our English word uh, is dynasty and is derived from this word dunastes. You see, we got it all twisted sometimes. Let me keep it real with y'all. We got it all twisted sometimes, right? Because when we speak about dynasties in our culture, uh, we're talking about a basketball team, a football team, you know, uh, or a baseball team because such and such team has won so many X amount of championships. In a sense, they run or rule over the league until knocked off uh, of the so-called throne and stuff, you know? So that, that, that's why we call them dynasties. So the word dynasty really means, uh, literally means ruler uh, or officer or one who is of great authority, might or potentate. Uh, I like that word, potentate. So what's comforting about our great God is this, y'all, that no one can knock him off the throne, right? No one can claim his dynasty. No one can knock off the throne because he is the only potentate. He's the only sovereign one. In some translations, actually, 1 Timothy 6 uh, verse 15, it uses the word potentate in place of sovereign because the word potentate is in the word omnipotent. This means then that Jesus is the only almighty, all-powerful, sovereign king. He is the only potentate ruler of all because he's, because he reigns supreme over everything. And he is reigning right now over everything. His inheritance was his inheritance is the nations. He has the nations and he's ruling over the nations right now. Seated at the right hand of the father. So now with that said, let's listen to some uh, of the other Psalms that speak about the supreme rule uh, of the Lord and the supreme reign of the Lord. So, for example, Psalm 93 verse one says this. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as his belt. Yes, the world is established; it shall never be moved. Psalm ninety-six, verse ten, uh, says this: uh, "Say among the nations, the Lord reigns." Yes, the Lord, th- the world is established; it shall never be moved. Uh, he will judge the peoples with equity. All right, and also let's 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 look at uh, uh, ninety-eight, verse nine. All right, let me get there. Ninety-eight, verse nine, because ninety-eight, verse nine, says this: "Before the Lord." Uh, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. So as a sovereign judge, he's doing that. All right. Also, Psalm 91, Psalm 97, verse one says the Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many uh, coastlands be glad. All right. And then Psalm 99, verse nine uh, says the Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. Uh, he sits enthroned above the cherubim. Let the earth uh Let the, let, let, let the earth quake. And also, uh, look at verses, uh, uh, two to five in that same psalm. It says the Lord is the great, uh, the Lord is great in Zion. He exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. So this holiness is connected to his sovereignty as well, too. That's what it says right there in verse three, the King in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice. Uh, And righteousness in Jacob, exalt the Lord our God, worship at his footstool, holy is he. So there's a bunch of attributes that are connected to his sovereignty here, yo, right? So his justice is connected to it. He is executed justice, equity, his equity is connected to it. Um, His holiness, like I said, and his righteousness is, you know. So what do these Psalms tell us about uh, the Lord? First off, let me back up. These Psalms are really cool because these are what are known as the enthronement Psalms uh, of the Lord. Because you hear over and over again, the Lord is uh, enthroned uh, and all that. So these are the throne Psalms here. So what do these Psalms tell us about the Lord, right? They simply tell us that he reigns, (laughs) right? He reigns uh, over and over again. It says he reigns. God does not have a shared sovereignty. That's that that's what this is telling us here. Uh where he's where he co reigns with, with man. He doesn't co reign with man. There's no such thing uh as the sovereignty of Satan, the uh despite what a lot of people think. Satan is not sovereign. Therefore he doesn't reign with God jointly in some kind of type of dualistic yin and yang fight uh 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 of uh, good versus evil type way. And this is not a fight between two equal parties. No, not at all. And once we understand that, when we hold to the sovereignty of God, we could say with Martin Luther that the devil is God's devil. Now, we need to understand that for real, for real, because we need to understand what it means for him to be the God, for the devil to be God's devil, uh, because this is what it means. He only gives him permission to do certain things in one area and at one time because the devil is not omnipresent. The devil is not sovereign, nor is he uh, supreme, because like you and me, he is a creature made by God. Therefore, he uh, is not, and we are not, uh, we don't have God-like uh, attributes, uh, what make us God-like, right? There's certain attributes that God shares with us, but there's certain ones that he doesn't, all right? Now, think about this too. Paul, in Acts 13, check it out, Acts 13, verse 34 Uh, he says this, uh, in relation to the resurrection of our Lord, and he gives proof uh, for the resurrection of our Lord. When he says that he was given the holy and sure blessings of David, since he has the holy and sure blessings of David, he has all authority in heaven and on earth. That's what this is telling us, right? So his sovereignty, so his sovereignty and his sovereignty, uh, reigns supreme and he reigns supreme as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's what he is. And that's exactly what Revelation says. Um, Revelation 19, he is king of kings and lord of lords. So these psalms, along with what Paul tells us, should bring comfort to us in these days, right? Like it really should bring comfort to us. The fact that the Lord God sovereignly rules and reigns should comfort us because the scriptures teach us that the Lord reigns now, not later. We're not waiting for him to reign later. He reigns now and right now. We aren't waiting for him to reign later when he returns or that or or that he did reign and then someone greater came along to remove him and reigns now. No, perish the thought, y'all. The Lord reigns. All right. He reigns now. And this is comfort. This this should be comforting to us with all that's going on with us. For real, with all the global turmoil that's going on all the time among the nations, the nations are always raging. Some nations don't even know why they rage. They're raging against him. The wars uh, in the Middle East, nuclear talks off and on, and world ruler, rulers always coming together, seem to come together to discuss is- issues, like in the global summit in the summertime, coming together to to discuss climate concerns, you know, and the like. You know, it was very interesting about these climate concerns. It seems to me that, like, they want to they have a climate. They want to, ha- you know, have the climate take care of the climate, you know, so that they can live in it and do more sin. They don't want to steward it as like what we're called to do. You know, uh, all the other things that's going on. There's a lot of turmoil still. All the crime we see in our cities. I mean, in Philly alone, we're going to be close to 500 murders, uh, 500 homicides in our city, man. Um, Babies being murdered in the womb, justice being misused. And at the same time, confused and abused, all that. So, but there's comfort because we shouldn't fret y'all and think about it this scripture says fret not yourself because of evil doers right so this is what david says right in psalm uh 37 verse 1 be not envious of evil doers fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the one man who carries out evil devices now this is comforting y'all it's easy for us to fret right it's easy for us to worry about the things we see in the world. We get mad, we get upset, we get angry. I mean, it's easy to. That's hard to do, that, that's hard to do these uh, things in these days because we want to see justice. We want justice right now, right? You know, it's hard for, for, for some of us. But what does David tell us in uh, Psalm 37, verse 8, right? In Psalm 37, verse 8, he says, Refrain from anger and focus and, and forsake wrath. So do you think that David doesn't understand, doesn't know what it's like to feel like how we feel when we see evil things happening around us in our world? David wasn't some type of superhuman. I mean, read the scriptures. He wasn't. We're not called to be like David. He wasn't some superhuman who didn't feel some, some way about the evil in the world. He was a sinful human like us, and he felt some type of way about it. And he knows what it's like to be fretting in, in situations and have fretting situations around him. But one thing that's true that we can learn about David is David trusted in in the Lord and in the sovereign plan of God. Uh, He has a plan for all the evil. God has a plan for all the evil we see and all the evil that happens to us. Again, think about Job, you know, let us. So so here's the encouragement. Right. And this is exactly what he says uh, in this psalm um, in verse seven. So. Let us wait patiently on the Lord, right? Let us wait patiently on the Lord. Easier said than done. I Trust me, I understand. This is why, again, David says right after that, uh, in the same verse, fret not yourself. And David says again, because it only tends to evil, right? Now, when we're stewing over something, when we're thinking over something, right? Um, I mean, uh, uh, David even says this. Uh, In Psalm 39, like when I'm stewing over something, when I'm thinking about it on my bed, uh, I mused over it, the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue, you know, I became distressed, I grew, it grew worse, and when I, I couldn't even talk about it and stuff, you know, like David knows what that's, what, what that feels like, you know, and so, that's what goes on with us, we want vengeance, and we want it in our own way, but this is why we shouldn't fret, okay, but really, The real question is, why shouldn't we fret though, right? Because the evildoers, as it says uh, in um, verse nine, the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Now, I love that because on Sunday we were uh, in Matthew five looking at the Beatitudes and the Beatitude that we saw in verse five says uh, that the meek will inherit the earth. That's that. That's the blessing for the meek. OK, so what should really connect us to verse two in, in, in Psalm 37, that what he says about the evildoers, they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Right. So that, that that's that that's banging right here, you know. And so as we wait for Jesus, as we're waiting for Jesus to return, we wait for his plan to be done. And this is what it means to thirst and hunger for righteousness. We thirst and hunger for righteous, for his righteous rule to be realized over all the earth, just as we're to pray, uh, uh, that Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Psalm 37 in all actuality, brothers and sisters, right. is connected to the sovereignty of God and trusting, uh, in that, in that sovereignty. See, we should take comfort because the Lord reigns, right? Ah, oh, I love that y'all. The Lord reigns, uh, He does not take counsel, the Lord, right? He doesn't take counsel with the world leaders at a round table to debate what's best to do. He doesn't do that. He does not rule like R.C. Sproul is known for saying by referendum. No, he doesn't rule like that. He reigns supreme and he reigns freely and absolutely. So in his reign, he has a plan for all the evil we see and all the evil that happens to us. So let us, again, like I said, wait patiently on the Lord. So he's not voted in the office, nor does he have uh, term limits, right? Praise God, right? Nor is there separation and balance of powers uh, in his rule at all. Not at all. He doesn't need a Supreme Court because he is himself the Supreme Judge and the just one who executes justice justly, right? No one can impeach him at all, right? (laughs) No one can even though people want to they can't that's why he sits in heaven and he laughs as psalm 2 says and that's why he has his anointed already installed as psalm 2 2 says his anointed one the messiah he doesn't reign by democracy nor by republic nor by oligarchy he has absolute theocratic reign over everything over all things therefore right therefore y'all we shouldn't deny. Uh, we we shouldn't. Uh, we, so wait. Let me back up. We should deny the false idea and superstition known as good or bad karma because it's not sovereign, right? People talk about good and bad karma like it's sovereign, and it's not. Or good and bad luck because they don't rule either. Blind fate is not sovereign. Blind faith is not sovereign at all. The many circumstances that we find ourselves in are not sovereign either. Therefore, they don't rule or reign over us. The stars don't rule or reign over us either. And this is good because you hear many people talk about the alignment of the planets. Oh, the stars are lining this way. So uh, that means they're sovereign. No, they don't have no sway over us. They're not sovereign over us uh, in our everyday affairs or in our lives. Man doesn't rule. And again, man doesn't co-rule with God and neither do the stars. They don't co-rule with them either. Think about what Genesis 1 says. He made the... The moon and the sun and, oh, he made the stars. (laughs) It's just a passing statement. So we should reject, as uh, Stephen Lawson says, any pagan idea or any myth that random chance or fortune uh, have any say. So my brother, uh, my brother, Dre, who was uh, co-teaching this uh, sermon series over the summer uh, about the attributes, he said this. And I love this quote that he said. We don't follow the Epicurean worldview that chalks everything up to chance. Nor are we to, to have the Stoic worldview, which says that the world is governed and ruled by fate. See, the Epicureans thought that it was all about chance. And Stoics think that it's all about fate. No, not at all. It's not about that. It's about the sovereignty of a personal person on the throne. God himself. You know, a personal God. So my wife and I will... Let me let me say this. My wife really watches a lot of HD TV. I watch it with her. And times... Uh, I'll hear people say on there, certain people talk about feng shui, right? And I just want to say this, that feng shui is not sovereign in your house at all. Feng shui is not sovereign in your house either. No, God and God alone is sovereign and his sovereignty rules over the universe, over the whole universe. For the Lord, the most high is to be feared, as uh, Daniel says, a great king over all the earth. God is the king over all the earth who sits enthroned as king forever. And I love this quote here by Stephen Charnock. I'm I'm, I'm pulling this one out of the the quiver of sovereignty quotes right here. You know what I'm saying? Stephen Charnock, when he was talking about the sovereignty of God, listen to this, man, because this is banging. He wrote about God saying that God's sovereignty originally resided in his own nature. It resides in his nature. That is It is who he is. He did not derive it by birth or by commission. No one didn't say, oh, you're sovereign. Let's put you on the throne. God is the sole cause of his own kingdom and sovereignty. Did y'all hear that? My man Charnock is saying God is the sole cause of his own kingdom and sovereignty. So this is the God of the Bible, y'all. All right. This is our sovereign God. This is as Lawson and a lot of guys say, this is big God theology right here, not little God theology that we hear all across the pulpits in America. In these days, and in some of the songs we hear about God, this small idea of God, consider what has been laid out about the sovereignty of God. That's what I want you to do. I, want, I just want you to consider this. Um, and I have a question for you. <laughs> and this is the question that I heard from uh, uh, Lawson as well. Are you a big Godder or are you a small Godder? A big Godder is one who understands that God is sovereign, and a small Godder is one who doesn't. So, let's recap. This is a recap here. Let's recap what we have been talking about uh, in in relation to the sovereignty of God. So, the sovereignty of God means this: that God is the only one who has royal power, dominion, and dominion, because he only he is the only one who reigns supreme over all creation. Again, let me say that again. God is the only one who has royal power and dominion because he alone reigns supreme over all creation. There's no part of creation that doesn't have him reigning over it. Over it. The sovereignty of God announces that God is above or superior to all others. He is chief. He's greatest. He's highest. He's the highest one. He's supreme in power and in rank and authority. No one is greater than our God. No one is greater than our God. We also see in this, right? uh, We also saw in this God's sovereignty in how he predetermines events. And we saw that in a few verses that we've been reading earlier, which I will uh, pick up on in the next episode when we talk about providence and how it relates to sovereignty. So we see this, that he predetermines events in creation and how he executes what he has predetermined. All right. We see that. We also see the sovereignty of God and how he controls even the smaller things in our lives. Now, I'm definitely going to be touching on this uh, next week in Providence because we're going to see it. Oh, it's banging, y'all. I can't wait. Um, And we're going to see. So with the sovereignty of God, it also tells us that he overrules all things and how he will consummate uh, all things as well, too. So creation is moving on to something and we're going to touch on that in Providence. We see the sovereignty of God and his grace toward sinners too. He extends sovereign grace to us when we were dead in our sins. Now that's banging y'all, man. He, he did that when we were dead in our sins. Not looking for him. Not having to care for him at all. Our God is in the heavens. His throne is established and his kingdom rules. Therefore, he does what he pleases. He does what he pleases. Amen. So, by way of application, this should really uh, b- booster our prayer, our prayer lives. Really realizing that, like the one who we're praying to is the sovereign one. He hears us and he wants us to pray to him. This should really uh, help us in our trials. You know, letting us know that, like, hey, we we shouldn't fret even when we feel some type of way. Fret not for the evildoer because they will be they will fade away, and the Lord reigns and he will take care of them. And also. This really should uh, uh help us in understanding um how to uh w- what's going on in the world right now, that he rule that he rules and he reigns over all the affairs in the world. So I just want to end this uh, uh episode with just a quote from Paul Washer. I started off with Paul Washer quotes, I want to end with Paul Washer. See, when speaking about the attributes again, and we could connect this with this, he says, most people say. That's not my God. I never heard God, uh, heard of a God like that. Watch this answer. And this is my answer to this too. When was the last time you studied the God of the Bible or God in the Bible? The most deceptive thing is to give you a God that is half of a God or to give you the picture, uh, um, of give you a half picture on the one side of the coin. And this is dangerous y'all. This is dangerous. Okay, so uh and I feel like so many give this this half uh coin one half of the picture in most of our American preaching in churches today could it be that part of the reason why God has allowed the world and this country to suffer and I mean think think of the think of judges uh Israel spiraling down into deeper and deeper forms of sin think about them. I think that this is the reason why the world that the Lord is allowing the world to suffer in this kind of way, because we don't know God as Peter Warren's judgment begins in the house of God first. So which makes me think of this uh, Q&A that I was listening to earlier today from Dr. Steve Lawson. He mentioned a man that came from France to see what made America so great. So this happened in the late 19th century, and this was after they sent the Statue of Liberty to us. Right. Uh He looked for the greatness of America and couldn't find it in the in the harbors, in the industry and in the grain fields. And he couldn't find it uh, anywhere. So it was not until he went into the church house and he heard his pulpits, heard her pulpits ablaze with righteousness that I discovered. And this is what the guy says. I discovered the greatness of America. So Lawson goes on to say further that America is great because it is good. If America ceases to be great, it won't be because of the White House. It won't be because of the church. It will be because of the church house. Let me say that again. It will be because of the church house. That's why America is not great. We need to be ablaze with righteousness and proclaiming the word of God. There needs to be a strong remnant that upholds righteousness. And see, after hearing that, y'all, it made me weep. It made me, it grieved me. Because it is because so many churches that we that are around are weak in the proclamation of the gospel uh, and in the attributes. Uh, And this is why I think our country is weak today. And I would even say it's because of those reasons why our country and our churches are under judgment. We need to have preachers who can preach on the attributes of God and know him. Not to sound smarter than the next man, but to know him and to proclaim him. We need to be living out these implications uh, of the attributes especially this bed bedrock doctrine of the sovereignty of God so let, let, let me let me just pray before we close this off father thank you so much just for for you and for this podcast and I asked it like that it may touch someone and make people contemplate on what it means for God to be sovereign and may it go to the scriptures and even the quotes that I had uh in this as well it's by the Spirit through the Son. I pray in Jesus' name, Amen. If you have any questions or comments or concerns, uh, I'm going to put the uh, um um uh, my the email onto the uh, the episode so that you can email me or whatever and stuff, and we and we could talk. And Lord willing, I will have uh, Paul Washer or even St- Stephen Lawson on one of these episodes one of these days. Grace and peace, y'all, and love you. So good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are and wherever you're listening to this new show called the Unworthy Servant Podcast. Again, this show is called the Unworthy Servant Podcast and it's a new podcast. My name is Michael Board and I am the host of this podcast and I am one of many unworthy servants that Jesus refers to. I like to say grace and peace to you all. I hope that this is part, I hope that This past uh, Lord's Day was one that was filled with ways to help you to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, I really hope that wherever you were for fellowship this past Sunday caused you to grow in awe and wonder and adoration for Christ. I hope that you were able to encourage a brother or sister and that you were encouraged as well to continue to grow in faith and good deeds, bearing fruit and becoming more and more like our elder brother. I hope that you were able to stir one another up in genuine love and affection for one another. See, this, is, this love for God and each other has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, as Romans 5 says. And it does so, the Holy Spirit, he does so to unite us with and to each other and to the Father and Son. And because of this, we have real fellowship with one another, one another, right? And we have fellowship with the God of the universe, that's banging. That's dope, y'all, right? Because we have fellowship with one another and with uh, uh Jesus Christ our Lord. Um as uh 1 John 1 says, you know. So, I pray that you all are looking forward to being together again soon, whether it's in your small groups or for Sunday. Now, my small group, my life group, shout out to uh 1010's life group. We're meeting next we're meeting actually tomorrow uh, on Thursday. So, shout out to you all. I'm looking forward to that and my prayer is that once again on the lord's day you and i are able to focus on christ and love on his people you know what i'm saying so that's that that's a wonderful thing so with that said we come to our second episode believe it or not this is the second episode of the unworthy servant podcast and this is a heavy one indeed all right this is a heavy uh 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 episode indeed but i'm uh eager and filled with joy to, to dive into it you know i'm really looking forward to uh to touching on this topic for sure. Throughout other episodes of this podcast, I want to uh, spend some time in the attributes of God. So today we're going to be um, focusing on um, just the attributes. We're going to be starting starting looking at the attributes of God and what it is. And so here's my reasons for why I want to, uh, for this to be the, the second episode, but really the first real episode uh, of this podcast. So the first time that I ever really understood or heard really Got grasped What the attributes were, um, was when I was in undergrad. I went to a a college called a PBU. Back in the day, it was a Philadelphia Biblical University. Now it's called Caring University. Um, but yeah, when I when I was an undergrad student there, um, I had a class called Doctrine One, and my professor at the time, his name is uh his name is Doctor Jonathan Master. He's a he's a he's a president at a, at another college now. Um, but Dr. Jonathan, Master, he he was a great, a great guy and a great, um, just a great professor, you know, but one of the things that we did in that class in doctrine one is that like, we learned the attributes of God and I don't know, man, like that really just, that really just sparked me, you know, that really just made me want to know more about who this God is that, that, that I, that I love and that the scriptures teach of, and I just want to know him and serve him. Now, I want to say that that's my first time really hearing and studying them, but like growing up, you hear certain things about these attributes, but you don't really- you, like I wasn't able to connect them with scripture and wasn't really able to know what it is that uh who 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 God really is and so because of that that like uh uh learning these things about him, learning the scriptures and all that you know um and then really with a mentor that I had, my mentor brother charles foster um was one that really opened my eyes to scripture. And I was reading scripture. And so whenever um whenever like I was reading five five chapters a day out of out of the New Testament. Um and just twelve chapters uh in in Genesis and stuff like that. And and we were just really getting it in. But besides all that, uh those are the kind of things that really wet my appetite for the attributes. And then because of undergrad uh and even going into grad school uh I came across some good books, some good books. Um one that we used in particular in undergrad was uh uh Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Banging book, you know, it's really good book. Uh and and it really helps you to understand like who does who, who who he is, you know? And listening to sermons uh that preach on the attributes, you know. So, um you know, guys like Dr. Stephen Lawson, uh RC Sproul, um uh Paul Washer uh and and just a, a plethora of of other men that 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 spoke on the attributes. And so another thing, you know, that kind of leads me to another reason why we I I'm interested in the attributes is because one, if you listen to Paul Washer's uh, sermons or read his books, um I I I I really love how the how the Lord has just just wired this brother, you know, um and so one quote that he said, there's a bunch of quotes that, 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 that you can really get from him. But one that I like in particular is he says this. He says, people will not understand their sin until they understand the attributes of God. Now, let me say that again. People will not understand their sin until they understand the attributes of God. See, I love what Paul Rosher is saying here and in many other books and sermons that he has preached. The main thing that he is trying to get at here or the reason why he's saying that is that the church is weak today. The church is weak today because we don't know our God. She's weak because she doesn't know her God, you know, and uh, the attributes have to be taught, you know. And and if you listen to a sermon enough, you you will hear him say that over and over again, like the attributes have to be taught, you know. Uh, And there's plenty of times where he says like, yo, like when was the last time you actually heard a sermon series on the attributes of God? And that really rocked me. That rocked me to the core, man. That rocked me to my heart because I'm like, yo, like he's right, man. Like, like when is the last time you have heard a series on that? So uh, as you all know, if you listen to the first episode, I let you know that I, I'm a pastor of a church. Um, I just recently became a pastor in in um, in March. And so one of our very first series that we did started started off this summer was on the attributes of God. You know, that was our summer series on the attributes of God. Myself and, and, and another brother of mine, uh Dre Thompson, shout out to Dre. Um we uh we embarked on a 12 week study on the attributes of God. And and this was a really, really good uh, study, you know, um and so my hope for these attributes of God episodes will be that it will do a few things. It will cause you to worship God. It will cause you to love God. Uh, it will cause you to understand who he really is and know him, you know? Uh, so that, that's, that's, that's my hope, you know, and that it'll cause you to try to find good books and look for good sermons to, uh, you know, to just beef, b- beef up your understanding of who he is so that we can love him more. And so that we can spread the aroma of Christ, uh, more in our streets and, uh, in our areas of, uh, influence. All right. So that's really why we're doing uh, these certain uh, episodes on the attributes of God, okay? And so today, we're gonna be touching on the ACID of God. The ACID of God. I told you, this is gonna be a heavy one, all right? This is gonna be a heavyweight episode right here. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> if you hear the bells ringing. But yeah, this is gonna be a heavyweight episode uh, right here. And I'm just looking forward uh, to sharing some things and just really just opening up the Word of God and, and getting into it, you know? So. I was at G three recently. My wife and I. This is our third one that we went to. Um, and so, one thing that uh, started the the day, the, uh, the first day off was uh, that Josh Bice um, said, uh, as he, this, the 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 conference started, he was like, "Yo, um, I want to start with an apology," and I love that because the apology that he started off with was really the same one that I started off with. Uh, when we did these, the summer attributes, uh, series, uh, like I said, over the summertime and the apology is this, like, yo, we're just basically going to be scratching the surface. And let me say this again. We're going to be basically just scratching the surface of who God is. We're never going to, uh, plumb the depth, the depths. We're never going to plunge the depths as Paul Washer says of who he is. We will, as he says, you know, uh, uh, when did, when, um, When the second coming comes, then we'll know everything we need to know about eschatology. But in the new heaven and new earth, we will still be knowing and getting to know who God is, all right? And knowing Christ and knowing more and more about him and still being in awe and wonder about who he is. I love that. You know, that like, even after a million years of being in the new heaven and the new earth, even after thousands of years, we will still be getting to know him, still be, and and I'm just... I I I'm just in all of that. So, for example, um, one of our series uh, uh verses was uh in Proverb, not Proverb, Psalm nine, Psalm nine, um, and in Psalm nine, it spoke about this uh and saying that the Lord has made Himself known, He has executed judgment, the wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. Now. I love that part in Psalm 9, verse 16, because it says the Lord has made himself known. And if you connect that with um, uh, John 17, like Jesus is saying this in his high priestly prayer. He's saying that like, look, like, yo, that like, where is eternal life? Knowing God, the father and knowing Jesus, whom he sent in the world, that's eternal life, knowing him. And then a life that, that, that grows in that knowledge of him, bearing good fruit, walking, walking the walk, the good, the good fruits that follow the good, the good works that follow us, that, that, that we were actually called to do, uh, with 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 the effectual call that he has called us to do the effect of that effectual call is found in the good works that uh Paul talks about in Ephesians 2 you know uh so uh, I, like i i i love that i really love that and so again i just want to start off by saying i apologize i'm sorry we're not going to be able to scratch the plums we're not going to be able to scratch the 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 uh uh the, the depths and plunge into the depths of who God is all the way all right But we're going to find some things out about him. So, uh, again, this is a compilation study that uh, I have gathered from others as well as personal notes. So, uh, I'm going to be giving credit to whom credit is due for sure from those who I borrowed uh, uh, things from. Uh, And again, like, because my notes are built on the shoulders of other godly men other wise godly men all right so so all this isn't just my own personal uh stuff that i just was sitting around thinking about no like i was studying these things studying scripture and uh this is just the fruit of 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 that labor and i hope that like you're able to um to uh partake in it so again i apologize for for not being able to uh really go 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 in depth about it so what I want to do is this. Uh, I am one I, I am one that believes that like in order to really understand something we need to define our terms, all right? So what I'm going to be doing is this, I'm going to be setting setting the setting the uh foundation by defining the term uh that we're going to be speaking about here today. Again, we're going to be talking about the aseity of God. Uh some people say aseity or aseity. Um uh and the definition of the aseity of God is like this. So what I'm really trying to ask is what do we mean when we are speaking about the aseity of God? All right. So what do we mean when we're speaking about the aseity of God? The word aseity comes from a Latin root word, assay, uh, which means from and self. So put together, the word literally means from oneself or more accurately for what we're talking about. It means from himself. So other words or other terms related to this word are independence, absoluteness, or self-existence. So when we're talking about God's aseity, we're really saying that like he is independent, he is absolute, uh, he's absolute in, in, in his independence, and he is self-existent. That means that He there was never a time when he wasn't. He just always has been and always will be. This term only relates to God and therefore only refers to him as the only one who possesses within his very nature eternal self-existent being. He truly is the only one who is pure uh, being. And I'm borrowing that pure being uh, from R.C. Sproul. Now, there are attributes of God that uh, uh, are called incommunicable and communicable. All right. The incommunicable ones are ones that he doesn't share with anybody. He has within himself. Uh, And then the communicable ones are ones that he shares with, with, uh, with his creation, with his people, with us all of creation too. Uh, and so clearly based on that definition, uh, when we speak about the aseity of God, the self-existence of God, the absoluteness of God, the independence of God, this is the attribute that belongs to him and him alone. All right. So I have a short story though. You know, uh, when my grandfather was alive, when my grandpa was alive, I remember when I was young and I asked him, I was like, yo, um, and I didn't say yo, <laughs> I respect it. I said, grandpa, we were eating dinner. I was like, grandpa, like who made God? Where did God come from? And so God, so, so grandpa said this, he was like, God always existed. I was like, what always existed? What do you mean? Like he never, and grandpa would say like, he's always been around. i like, well, who made God? No one has. He just been around. He, he, he always has been and always will be. I was like, man. And so I was I was young, you know, and and I and I really wasn't able to wrap my head around it, but with growing up and then with the Lord, you know, uh uh changing my heart and just making me help help helping me to understand certain things about him and studying things about him. Like my answer uh my the question to my answer um or the answer to my question is answered through through this definition that like he is self-existent and there never was a time when he wasn't. He is just pure being. So, Another definition from uh, Verne Poythras, Verne um, uh and this is from his book, The Mystery of the, Tri- the, Mystery of the Trinity, a, tr- a, tr- a Trinitarian Approach to the Attributes of God. Let me say this again. The name of his book is The Mystery of the Trinity, a Trinitarian Approach to the Attributes of God. Uh, and this provides a great definition uh, for-, for this uh, understanding of the CD of God. So God is absolute. This is what he says. God is absolute. Again, this is another word for esseity. God is absolute. He is independent of the world that he made. He always existed while everything created had a beginning. Not only in its beginning, but in its continuation, each created thing is dependent on him. God, by contrast, does not need anything from the world man i love that definition right like don't 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 you love that definition because there's a few things that's going on in this definition right Poitras is saying god always existed and uh he is independent from the world that he made and so it shows his create creative create creativity all that you know but also it says, while everything created had a beginning, everything that was created has a beginning. He doesn't have a beginning. Everything has a beginning. So not only in this beginning, but in its continuation, this is also pointed to the fact that God, what he creates, he sustains. I love that, man. I really love that because it's pointing to the fact that like he is the one who makes things, but doesn't just leave it on his own to try to, you know, to, to, uh, for his, his own existence. You know, and what I'm trying to say is this. He doesn't leave things um, to just exist on their own. The things that he makes, he actually sustains those things. So which shows that like all things are dependent on him. I love that definition, you know. Uh, so truly, everything is in need of him. He is in need of nothing else. And that's really at the core of uh, uh, of the acidity of God. He is in need of nothing. Everything that is created is in need of him. Um, I mean, think of Acts 17, and we're going to get there in a little bit, you know, uh, uh, what, what Paul says. So I love that definition. Also, when speaking on the matter of the acidity or uh, absoluteness, R.C. Sproul provides more insight when he said that God has the power of being in and of himself. He does not derive it from something or someone else. God is not dependent on anything outside of himself. God has never needed us to survive or to be. But we, his creatures, are totally dependent on him. Again, you see uh, what we're what we're talking about here, that he's not dependent on on us. We're dependent on him, and he doesn't need us to survive or to be. Now, that whole to be, like if you look at if you look at uh uh R C Sproul's uh sermon on uh this uh idea of to be. Man, it'll blow your mind. You'll be sitting in there like, whoa, your mind, your mouth will be wide open. I love how uh, how he does that. Because basically, what he says is like the verb to be is the basic, is the most basic uh verb in uh, uh the human language. And really it 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 is connected with the I am. So when God says I am or I will be who I will be, to be, he is pure being, meaning that like that like he is the one that's being. We are becoming. And I'm borrowing that from R.C. Fro. I love that he said that. We, we are becoming ones. He is the be- being. Um, and so I like this other definition that is provided for us by Do- Dr. Stephen Lawson uh, in his book, Show Me Your Glory. And I just want to say that that book really helped me, man. That really that book just really opened my eyes even more to like this understanding of not just the assiduity of God or the absoluteness of God, but on other attributes. So he says this. Uh, Speaking about the uh, absoluteness, he says that God has all life in himself means that God is not dependent on anyone or anything. So you see that word dependence again. He's not dependent on anyone or anything. Uh, We as his creatures are entirely dependent on, uh, 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 on him, dependent on him. The life that we have, both physical and spiritual, has been derived from him. It is in God that we live and move and have our being. And again, he's borrowing that from uh, Acts 17. That like we live and move and have our being. But God does not derive life from anyone or anything else. God is self-sufficient. God is self-contained. And God has life in himself. I love that quote, man. That's just a banging quote. And to add to that, I love what J.I. Packer says in his book. The word acety means that God has life in himself and draws his unending energy from himself unlike us he never changes now look he never changes he has unending energy now the truth of the matter is we all run out of energy you know at some point like think about it if you run a marathon or if you are running up some steps uh you will run out of energy a uh, short story when we were moving into our apartment my wife and i we had people helping us we live on the third floor yo i'm telling you man all of us ran out of energy but when we're speaking about God, God never runs out of energy. He is the unending uh, source. You know, he's the unending just uh, energy source. He has energy within himself. That's what we're talking about here. We're talking about the acidity of God. So these definitions, like what do they do for us? They affirm and provide for us a robust, meaty and weighty truths about the eternal self-existence of God. These truths also include the fact that he is self-sufficient and independent. All right. Within himself, that's what he is. He's self-sufficient and independent. And again, this is just beautiful about him. When we say that God is independent, we mean that he does not need anything from us to add to his greatness or to add to these qualities that he has, these attributes that he has, because he is, as the early church fathers have said, self-generated, self-divine and self-excellent. That's who our God is. (laughs) That's just beautiful, man. You know, uh, that should just draw you to worship him all the more just because he's that within himself. So God is completely and eternally satisfied in himself. I love that. He is satisfied within himself. God does not depend on anything for his satisfaction because he is fulfilled within himself. He's fulfilled within himself. So how is he fulfilled within himself, one might might ask. And why is this the case? And does it matter? So the real answer to that question is, yes, it does uh, matter. And again, I'm borrowing this from Stephen Lawson. Uh, He says, before the creation of time and space, uh, Lawson says, the triune God existed eternally without anything or anyone else in the universe. All right. So this is why this matters, because he is fulfilled within himself. And this, and the fact that he is triune points to the fact that he is fulfilled within himself. So the real question then becomes this. So was God ever alone? Was there ever a time where he was alone? So in one sense, no, he wasn't alone. So. But even though he was alone, right? I mean, if you want to say that God was alone, he wasn't lonely. OK. Because God was never alone in himself. And and, and this really points to the fact that he is triune. The three persons of the Trinity eternally uh, and from eternity past have enjoyed perfect satisfaction, perfect fellowship, uh, unending uh, fellowship with each other, and they, they delight in one another. All right. So many people think that God... And you hear people say this all the time, you know, many people think that God created human beings because he was lonely and needed companionship. This would mean that God uh, is not independent of his creation and is in need, which would make him a creature like us. And again, as those definitions and as I have been trying to say here, God really is not he's not not, he he is not dependent on us. So he didn't need uh, um, humans uh, to Uh, Give him any source of satisfaction or anything like that because he has always been uh, within himself eternally uh, 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 satisfied because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, So, I like this and I'm also borrowing this from uh, Wayne Grudem because he helps to shed more light on this. When he comments on John uh, 17 verse 5 and 24, right? Right? So Pete, what he says here, he says in John 17, five, Jesus prays, father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that, uh, the glory, which I had with you before the world was made. Here is uh, an indication that there was a sharing, uh, of the glory between the father and the son before creation. All right. So that, so that's what's going on here. There was a sharing of glory before creation. Then uh, in John seventeen twenty four, Jesus speaks to the father uh, and says this of my glory, which which you have with which you have given me in your love for me before the foundation of the world. So, again, this is speaking to a shared glory that they had with each other before the foundation of the world. So there was love and communication between the father and the son before the creation. Now, again, this weighty this is a weighty truth hear about the acidity of God. And I want you all, I want us all to grasp this, all right? I want us all to really understand this, all right? Because what we're really trying to see, what what this really boils down to is this. God was never lonely. He was never lonely. He never had any lack of personal fellowship. Again, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in perfect triune uh, fellowship, this is a fellowship that he brings us into. Now, remember, he brings us into this fellowship when we uh, believe on Christ, when the Holy Spirit unites us to uh, to Christ. Now, think about it. It's from the father through this through the son uh, by the spirit to us. All right. Now, the way we re- we relate to uh, the father is it's. Uh, by the spirit through the son unto the father and so that's why when i'm saying that like we are in fellowship with him now uh but again he is not he he, he his fellowship isn't his satisfaction or his depend or, or his uh, uh his nature isn't dependent on bringing us into his um his fellowship all right we actually are deriving life from him And that's what it means for us to have eternal life. We are united with him. We are connected uh, to his life. This is fellowship that he brings us into. However, he still will be self-existent. So even without us, he still will be self-existent and we will still be deriving life from him. I love that, y'all. Like that should give you goosebumps, man. Like that gives me like like we're still deriving life from him. So this interpersonal triune fellowship is displayed in how each person shares and bestows glory to one another. Uh, And this is why uh, it's blasphemous to speak as if God has needed or had a need to create because he was lonely. Again, he was never lonely. So think about this. You know, there's songs that say things like this. You didn't want heaven without us, so you brought heaven down. And the problem with songs like that and verses like that suggests that God was lonely and needs us to have fulfillment. And again, he doesn't as we're, as we're clearly seeing what acidity means. So as Timothy Brindle says in, in, in his song, uh, uh, I love this verse here. He says, true indeed. There's nothing that you would need as a triune loving community, right? I'm gonna say that again, y'all. Cause I love that. He says, true indeed. There's nothing that you would need as a triune loving community. I love that. Every time I hear those words, I get hyped. I get amped up to know that God is his own holy treasure. As as he says in that song, uh, does this truth really rock you to your core to want to know him more? I mean, it rocks me to my core to want to know him more. And my goal, I hope that, this, that that's doing it for you, too. So along with what these men are getting at here and what my definition is trying to get at. Uh, is that there was never a time when the triune God didn't exist. I'm saying this over and over again. This is true because he is the eternal self-existent one who alone possesses absolute independence from everything he created. And yet everything that he created gets its existence from him. That's great. That's good news, y'all. So as we said that we're going to look at uh, Acts 17. So for example, Listen to what the Holy Spirit says uh uh what the Holy Spirit is bringing to our attention uh when Paul was uh at the Areopagus on Mars Hill in Acts 17 verses 24 to 25. Now notice what I said. I said the Holy Spirit is saying this. Now we know that Luke uh, wrote Acts, but when you think about the inspiration of the of uh of scripture, the Holy Spirit is the one that uh takes these men and uh carries them along as First Peter um Second Peter chapter one speaks about. So that's why I'm saying the Holy Spirit uh is, is speaking here um, and letting us know these things. So what is Paul saying here on Mars Hill? He says, God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Now, that's beautiful, y'all, because what Paul is saying here is he's speaking about the acidity of God. Now, I want to pause right here and say this, y'all, that like, yo, these attributes aren't something that like people just make up about God. Now, we give uh, cert- certain, um, you know, titles and, and, and words that go with these attributes, but the attributes come from Scripture. So what I'm pl- what I'm plainly saying here is this. Is that like when it comes down to really understanding uh, uh, these attributes? These attributes are taken from Scripture, and then we understand these attributes and they're given definitions uh, uh, from what Scripture already reveals and says about God. See, we have to understand that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one that inspires these writers to write this, but also, He, um, um, in a sense, Illuminates us and gives us and, and gives special gives special revelation. Now the special revelation is the scriptures, and it's in the scriptures where we learn these truths about God. So again, Acts 17 tells us that God made the uh the world and everything in it, and he is the Lord of heaven and earth and doesn't live in the temples made by man. He doesn't he's not served by humans and he doesn't need anything from us. This is true from scripture. So again, that song that says he didn't want heaven without us is is wrong, you know. Because he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So what is this really telling us here? This is telling us that the triune God, our triune God never had a beginning before time, before space and before matter, before, uh, all that, the triune God, the father, son, and the Holy spirit, each person of the Godhead who alone shares and, and, and has the eternal, uh, divine being each person, uh, Uh, has what what it is that makes them God Uh, we can say about the father we can say about the son and we can say about the holy spirit within their essence they have had this within their existence eternally his being is not depending on our services towards him because he does not need anything from us right that's what that verse is saying here y'all this also tells us that everything is dependent on His existence as well, because He gives life and breath to every living thing. Again, that's why it says, uh, uh, and I'm taking this quote from somebody. I'm not. I don't remember who this is from. So sorry. As His creatures, our physical life, our spiritual life, and even eternal life with Him all have God as their source. And I think I'm getting that from uh, Lawson. But again, that's exactly what verse uh, 28 is saying to us uh, in um. In Acts seventeen, and really, what we're trying to say here is this: connected with that, before he, he, before God created angels, before our triune God created humans, He existed, and all life stems from Him because He truly is the fountain of life. Um. So that's that. That's what we're saying here. This should make us think of uh, Job forty-one verse eleven. All right. So Job forty-one verse eleven, where the Lord asked Job, "Who has given to me?" right? <laughs> that I should repay him. <laughs> That's the Lord talking to Job. He's like, yo, who who, who's, who, who, like, who gave these things to me that I should repay him? I don't owe you, man. <laughs> uh, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine, all right? That's what the Lord is saying. Everything under the whole heaven is mine, which is banging because we have a nice cross-reference here because this should make us uh, think about the indictment of God against his people in Psalm 50. Now Psalm 50 is, is, is cool and you definitely should check it out because this is where the Lord says, For every beast of the forest is mine. <laughs> he says, The cattle on a thousand hills are mine. I know I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves on the field is mine. Think about that. Like, 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 and a good cross-reference for that also is um is Matthew 6, where the Lord is talking about the fact that like, yo, like I know the fields uh, and, and I know the birds. And if they like the birds are, um, you are more valuable than, than, than they are. You know, uh, uh, you know, I feed them. But how much more value are you than they are? And then the Lord says this in uh, Psalm 50. He says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world and its fullness are mine. All right. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? So what's behind this declaration of the Lord here? So the Lord really is telling us, and it's clear, clearly he's saying this. He's saying that all things belong to him. That's what he's saying. All things belong to him. What else is the Lord declaring here? What else is he saying? He is saying that since all things are mine, all things are his, there is nothing you can give to me. There's nothing that we can give to him that would add anything to who he is. Now, that's that. I love that. That part there, I love that because there's nothing that you and I can give to him that will add to what he already is within himself. And again, that's pointing to his self-existence, his aseity, his absoluteness, his independence. He is totally independent from his creation, um, which again kind of connects to some other attributes of his. You know, like uh, um, there's a bunch of other ones that 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 really show who who, who he is. Uh, uh, and and we and we're going to be touching on those in other episodes so also think about genesis 1 1 all right in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth so this functions as some believe and i believe this as a summary statement for everything related to creation that's found in genesis 1 and 2 but i like to draw your attention to the truth from this text here from the truth from from this verse it is plainly telling us that before the heavens uh, and earth were created that is before our atmosphere was formed, before our outer space was made, before the stars, before the sun was formed, before there was land, and even before his abode in heaven was created, he existed eternally in perfect triune harmony. Before the earth and everything in it was created, he preceded them all. He came before them all. He does not depend on any other outside force or person for his existence because he truly is from everlasting, as Psalm ninety says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. All right. So he does not depend on any. He does not depend on anyone uh, outside uh, or any outside force or tool to create as well. Right. So sometimes people will say, "Well, in creation, he used angels." No, he doesn't need angels because he created the angels. He doesn't need them. No one pressured God. No one caused. no one twisted his arm saying, God, you better do this. You know, no one pressured him or caused him to be or caused him to create or caused him to make anything. And so this is really related to what A.W. Pink says in uh, his book on the attributes. So he says, God was not under a uh, constraint. He was not under any constraint, no obligation, no necessity to create. That he chose to do so was purely a sovereign act on his part caused by nothing outside of himself uh and determined by nothing but his own mere good pleasure so why did he create things because he he uh it was from his own good pleasure because he wanted to because it brought him joy to do so um not that he was dependent on that joy not that he it, those things were depending not that his joy was depending on those things now that's a difference here you know what i'm saying if if he finds joy in something it's because he chooses to delight in that you know uh and again he's not finding fulfillment out of those things unlike us right when you think about us we, we we we're humans and even in our sinfulness we're fallen sinful creatures we uh are dependent on certain things for our fulfillment and for our joy and that's and and that also points to our sin um and that's why that quote from paul washer means so much more that like when we truly understand the attributes of god we will you know Understand who we are in our sinfulness. So what is this really saying here? In creating all things, this displays to all of creation uh, his love and majesty over all things. Unlike us, all things he makes changes. Uh, um, So we change. He doesn't change. And that's what this is saying. Unlike us, all things he makes will change. They die out. They, they, They fade away but he doesn't change. And this is exactly what Psalm 102 verse 25 to 28 says. It says this of old, uh, you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change like a robe. Uh, you will change uh, them like a robe and they will pass away, but you are the same and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure, your offspring shall be established before before you. Now, what's banging about this is again, y'all, is that like this is pointing to the fact that like he made things, laid them down, uh, uh, but he existed before all that, you know. Um, and then also those things will perish, but he will uh remain. This is pointing to his immutability, the fact that he won't change. All right. Now, if you are familiar with Hebrews chapter one, the writer of Hebrews connects this with christ all right and is banging all right and it's pointing to the fact that like uh this the son of god is the second person of the godhead and he also has within himself this uh this power to create and make things um and that's why we make that's what makes him greater than the angels greater than uh, uh moses greater than uh the priesthood and all that so now Let's take a step back, y'all, because when meditating and contemplating on these truths, this should draw us to worship him for his godness. Right. And call us to obedience. This really should call us to obedience. This is enough to call us to obedience. This should lead us towards doxology. Right. That is this should lead us to praise the Lord, to praise him like the psalmist does in, in Psalm 93, verse two. He says, your throne is established from of old. Right. How old is your throne, right? This how old is his throne? His throne is old. The psalmist says again, "You are from everlasting." So again, think about uh, the praise uh, in this wisdom psalm found in Psalm ninety. And again, I already made references to this Psalm ninety, uh, verse two, where Moses says, "Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God." So when put together. The truths in these two verses are stating clearly that God's rule, he rules over the whole universe and over the cosmos is from everlasting, uh, from everlasting to everlasting. And simply because he is the eternal self-existent one who made everything. And that's, it's always just going back to that point. And that's what it means for him to have a That's what the seedy of God is about. So therefore the infinite universe, as Stephen Lawson puts uh, owes its existence to the infinite God. Now I'm gonna say that again, y'all, because like I want us to grasp that the finite universe, right? The finite universe, meaning that like you know, it's 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 not infinite. It will come to an end, as a uh, Psalm 102 says. The universe, the whole universe, everything in it, things that have been already discovered and are still waiting to be discovered, owes its existence to. The infinite God, because he uh, has self-existence within himself. All right. So the natural question that really should rise from this is this. What does it mean for God to be from everlasting? All right. What does it mean for him to be from everlasting? This means that from eternity past to eternity future and all the time in between, uh, he, he has always been because he has a city alone. Meaning that he has his, uh, uh, he is self existent, doesn't depend on anyone by, uh, to, to exist. And he has it within himself, pure being, as R.C. Sproul says. He has life within himself. He wasn't self created, right? Because some people think that he created himself. No, he just has been, existed. Think about these words that R.C. Sproul says here God alone exists by his own power. He didn't create himself, just exists by his own power, always has been, from everlasting to everlasting. No one made him or caused him to be. His existence in and of himself, so he he exists in and of himself. This is a quality that no creature shares. People are not self-existent, neither are cars. Smart cars or smartphones, whatever, and we're living in a smart car error, smartphones error, right? They're not created beings or the stars. Only God has the concept of of self-existence. Now, I love that part where he says, or the stars, because think about it. When you're looking in Genesis 1, for example, Genesis 1 says he made uh, the sun and the moon. And then it says, oh, and he made the stars. Now I added the "o" part, but really, like it says the stars, like it's a passing point. Like, like, Like the stars are just like, you know, oh, and the stars. I love that there. Also, think about it. He not just makes the stars, but he knows each and every one of them by name as a psalm one uh says he knows him by name. uh This truth about our triune God should make us pause, right? That's what it's that's that's what this truth should do. It should make us pause and drive us to deep contemplation and drive us to our knees in humble adoration as we praise him and worship him for who he is within himself. Here we can agree with Sproul when he says that that uh that the acidity of God points to. Him as the one who is pure and eternal self-existent. He has being within himself. He is a self-existent being. He needs nothing from our hands or from our bank accounts to exist. He needs nothing from us to add to his absolute perfection at all uh, and at all times. He needs nothing from us to be or add it to his being. And again, that, that, that's a quote from Sproul, um, what, what he says that. And I like that because, again, it's saying the same thing that we've been saying here uh, about the acety of God. If we knew anything else about God, um, if we knew anything else about God, and this is what I want to say here. Like this truth about his acety should drive us to our knees, like I said, like the 24 elders and the four living creatures in Revelation 4, 8 and following. Right. Think about this. And think about what it says here in that. They never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. See, what is this verse uh, uh, saying to us? And what is this next verse saying? It's saying, and, and, and people what the, with what the next few verses are saying here. It says, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him, who is seated on the throne and lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him, who is seated on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. Notice the repetition here, right? Notice the repetition. It says, him who lives forever and ever. This repetition is uh, is to bring our attention to the one who was and is and is to come, because it says he lives forever and ever and ever, pointing to, again, his acety. Also, the 24 elders cast their crowns, That is to say that they're casting their crowns and accolades, throwing their and giving their achievements to the one who is before the throne. They cast the good works. They cast their good works and the gifts he saved them for and gave himself uh, for. Right. And gave to them. So they're casting their crowns to him. To him. This is what they say. They actually sing this as a song. This is a a song they're saying to him, worshiping him now because of his self-existence. They sang, Worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. I love that right there, y'all. Like I really love that part because it says, By your will, they existed and were created. Why does he receive glory and honor and power? Because he created all things. Because by his will, everything exists. And by that same will, everything was created. I love that, y'all. Again, like it's by his will that everything was existed and was created. Notice what happens here, right? They are praising the one who is seated on the throne for his eternality and for his self-existence. So, like two attributes. They're praising him for the fact that like he will live, he lives forever, and for the fact that like he has existence within himself. They're praising him for that. They're giving him honor and glory for that, you know, and for him as this source of creation. And so again, this is exactly what, what what Paul breaks out into, uh, in praise in Romans eleven thirty six, where he says, "For from him and through him and to him, right, um, uh, giving praise to him, like like who like who would who would who would have gave you those those thoughts?" Matter of fact, I'm paraphrasing it. I want to read that for you because I want you to understand what it is that Paul is praising him for and how to connect it to what we're saying here. Again, starting in actually in verse thirty three, it says. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might repay, that he might be repaid again for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory forever. Amen. Again, I love that y'all, because what's happening here is that like, again, Paul is breaking out in praise and worship for, for, for God for just for him being the self-existent one and the 24 elders and the living creatures are doing so. And if that's the case and that goes on uh, in the throne room of God, that's that's how we should be too tor- towards him. So what So what would happen in our lives and in our churches if we saw God rightly, right? You know, and again, this is why I love what Paul Washer says about why the church needs to understand these attributes. What would happen in our lives if we saw God in this way, right in our lives? what would happen? Think about your life? what would happen if you saw him like that uh all the time what would happen if we saw Him rightly? When I think on that right I mean when i when I really think about that and when i when I contemplate that I mean and when you contemplate that does it doesn't that bring just tears to your eyes when you think about that like doesn't that just make your eyes just flood with water and tears of joy? Uh, and become overwhelmed because of our great triune god aren't you just overwhelmed of who he is and don't you just want to live for him because of that he is pure being right he's a being of pure unending uh, existence who has the power to create according to his own will like that's i love that about him he has life within himself don't you just love that about him who is like our God, right? I mean, that's that that that's what the name Michael means. Who is like our God? It's a question. Do your eyes just water up? Do you just tear up? Do you stop and think about this? Do you contemplate about him in this kind of way, about the greatness of of, of who he is? Or do you just go to church and be like, oh, I can't wait to get out. You know what I'm saying? I can't wait till this preacher is done. You know, um, or do you just bubble up in just a uh, joy of who he is? I pray that if you don't know this about him, that you truly begin to see that he has this within himself and he is this within himself. All right. Not only do we see the acidity of God uh, like this, but we also uh, in those other verses, but we see it in the resurrection of Christ, our Lord as well. And I'm borrowing this from uh, Vern Poitras. All right. Uh, we see the acidity of God, uh, the absoluteness of God uh, in the resurrection of Christ. Uh, It is rightly understood that the Father and Spirit both raised Jesus from the dead. All right. And again, I'm borrowing this from uh, Poythras. And we can see that clearly in Ephesians 1, verse 17 to 20, and also Romans uh, 8, uh, verses 10 to 11. So definitely check those out on your own time, because it shows the Ephesians passage shows that the Father is the one raising uh, the Son, and the Spirit is the one raising the Son in Romans 8, verses 10 to 11. But we can also say this. And I and, and I want and I and I want us to understand this here too. We can also say this. It is just as true and right to say that, that Jesus raised himself from the dead as well. All right. And we see this here uh, in John 10, verse 17 to 18. And he says this for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Verse 18 No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and peep what he says here. And I have authority to take it up again. And he gets this authority from who? He gets this authority. I received this authority from my father. So shown that the father is greater than the son uh, uh, in um, the within uh, the God, within the Godhead, even though they have the same, uh, uh, they share the same essence. They have different roles uh, in the Godhead, but. I want us to see that truth here that like that Jesus clearly says, I have authority to lay it down. and I have authority to take it up again. So there are a few things that need to be pointed out here. Right. First, Jesus is making a distinction between him and the father. Right. A distinction. Jesus is receiving the authority from the father to take and pick his life back up. He's able to take it and pick it back up. And third, Jesus clearly says that no one takes his life from him. All right. No one does. So Jesus, fourth Jesus, the one who lays down his life, is the one who is taking it up again. All right, we see that here. Christ was able to do so because he has two natures. All right, the human nature was truly dead, uh, as 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 a lot of theologians rightly point out. His human nature really was dead, but his divine nature wasn't dead. All right, he. Always, and, and again, his divine nature always uh, lives and will always live and lives forever. All right. Uh, and again, if you think about this, Peter says this in Acts uh, 3, Peter said it was impossible for them to keep the prince of life in the grave. So what is this telling us? What is this telling us here uh, about um, Jesus? This is telling us that Jesus has life in himself. And needs no outside resources to raise him up again. This should make you think of the words that Jesus said earlier about himself and the father. So again, uh, think of John 5 verse 21 and 26. Uh, This says uh, this. For as the father raises the dead and and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Now, this is pointing to a bunch of things here. First of all, this is pointing to the fact that God... Uh, the father gives, um, life, uh, raises people from the dead, but also the son gives life to, to whom he wills. Now that also points to the fact that like he chooses whom he's going to give uh life to. He elects them. He chooses them for as the father has life in himself. So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. And again, this pointed to uh, the greatness of the father being greater than the son, but also giving the son responsibilities and uh, certain roles. And again, uh, the son also to whom uh, he wants to give life uh, as well. So and this also points again to the fact that what John 1 John 1 4 says when speaking about the word, John says in him was life and the life was the light of men. So. He has life within himself and he also has life to raise himself up again. And then he also gives life uh, to to, uh, to men. The resurrection displays three truths about the absoluteness and acidity of God. So three truths. Christ raises himself. He has absolute. And because of that, he has absolute independence within himself. He has acidity within himself. The Trinity is involved in his resurrection as well proving that each person of the Godhead has life within himself too. The father has life, the spirit has life, and the son has life. The resurrection is the beginning point of the new creation uh, as well for us, all right? And it compares to the first creation. And so I'm kind of borrowing this from uh, Poitras here because this is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, Looking at romans 11 uh, Romans eight eleven uh, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he has, who has raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. so I love that right there, y'all, because how we are raised from the dead uh how we uh our mortal bodies uh are awakened to uh the life of God we are regenerated we're awakened to the life of God is through the holy spirit work His, the holy spirit's work in us since Jesus has life in himself and gives it to whomever he wills the resurrection affects us because the spirit who raised Christ up dwells in our mortal bodies all right we have resurrection life because we are new crea- a new creation we're new creatures in this resurrection life he gives us power to obey and to put death the misdeeds of the flesh and he continues to do so and that's the sanctification that's the walk uh that we do helping us to be conformed to the image of his uh, of the son in this new resurrection life he graciously sustains us because he is the god who uh who alone has a seedity a within himself and i love that y'all because Again, this points to what I said earlier What actually with Pointus uh, definition about acidity. He not only makes things but he sustains those things that he makes. Uh so even though the Father doesn't need us, he has made us from his, uh, f- he has made us for his own purposes and glory. So even though he doesn't need us, he made us for his own purpose and for his own glory. Even though the Father doesn't need us, yet you and I are worth the blood of Jesus. And again, I'm borrowing that from Timothy Brindle. All right. And that's why it rhymes a little bit. And I kind of chopped that rhyme up. So I'm gonna say it again.